When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're getting into some really difficult stuff as the people of God have come out of the waters of the Red Sea. They have come out of Egypt, and now they want to go back. It's funny how that works. Well, it works on us, too. The promise that God gives the people as they head into the wilderness for what they think will be a very short trip. You can walk from Egypt to the land of Canaan in, I don't know, you can do it on Google Maps if you want. Anybody want to look that up while I'm talking? Um, You could probably walk there in a a couple days um, on foot with a big group. It might take a little longer to move from water spot to water spot, but it's really not that far. Um, If you go on a tour to Israel and Egypt, I think it's like an afternoon's bus ride uh, from one place to the other. And yet the people are about to embark on a epic adventure where they will be in the desert for a really long time, but they don't know that yet. Moses doesn't know that yet either. And we're not even sure God even knows that yet. Um, Nothing, that hasn't happened. What has happened, though, is they've been delivered. There's a beautiful, triumphal song of Moses and Miriam singing this chorus. And then the Lord God says to them, similar to the Garden of Eden, there's like two paths here. You can complain and you can you know, resist the leadership of Moses and the leadership of God. Um, Or you can listen and follow and you won't have all the stuff happen to you that happened to the Egyptians. Um, There's this strange um, event with the water. As soon as they come out of the Red Sea, delivered from the Red Sea, of course, Red Sea here in the Hebrew is Yom Suf, most literally translated the Sea of Reeds. Later in the Bible, it's called the Red Sea. Um, Scholars have debated this for a long time of whether Moses and the people of God were delivered through what is known as the Red Sea today, I think in the Gulf of of Aqaba there, or if what they um, went through was a marshy area in the Nile Delta called the Sea of Reeds. So the miracle is a little more epic in the Red Sea than it is in the Sea of Reeds. Either way, you have to drown a whole army of Pharaoh. So either way, the miracle is pretty impressive, no matter which sea they went through, um, or body of water. But here they are, um, in their first moment, on the other side of of the sea, with no water. And they come to Mara, and the water there is bitter. That's why it's called Mara. Here we have some linguistic hints. Bitterness. Um, I believe this is what Naomi says when she leaves, when her husband dies and her, and her sons die. And Ruth says to her, or, or his other, her other daughter says to her something, and she says, call me Mara, for I am bitter. Um, the bitter taste of the water um, 
is uh, makes it too impossible to drink. So it's not just bad tasting. There's something else going on in the water that makes it impossible. Thirsty people can drink just about anything in a pinch, but this is beyond the, their ability to even make it potable. But Moses um, cries to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. I mean, that was pretty nice. little instant miracle there. Notice that God likes using means or intermediate objects to do God's will. And it's true in the life of Moses. Uh, the rod that Aaron's rod that becomes a snake, um, the plagues themselves are physical objects that God uses to, to send a message, to do a, a work. And here, this piece of wood that is thrown into the water, or as some would translate it, a tree. So whether he cut down a tree and knocked it into the water, or he put a piece of wood, um, I'm not sure which one it was. And then there's this promise, you know, and this is what I referred to earlier. If you listen to the voice of the Lord carefully and do what is right, give heed to the commandments or the Torah, the Torah being the five books of Moses, but they're called the five books of Moses or they're called the Torah, the commandments, because they contain all the commandments, 613 commandments or the Ten Commandments, which is the summary of all those, or 650, anyway, 600 and something commandments um, are in in the Torah. And you keep all these statutes, I won't bring upon you the diseases of the Egyptians. None of these diseases was a very popular book um, in the 1960s, I think, in American Christianity. And it was one of those books that comes along every couple years that says, if you follow the Bible's plan for your life, you won't ever have any of those diseases. I believe this book was also put up against the backdrop of the AIDS epidemic and pandemic that happened in America and around the world in the 80s and a little before that, showing that if you follow God's plan for your life, you won't have any diseases or the diseases of the Egyptians, the diseases of the world. Um, And you can see how easy it is to frame that that way um, as if, People are trying to get diseases or something like that when they are um, living their lives. And so, again, another Christian self-help book that promises everything for doing what the book says, not the Bible, but the book itself, the None of These Diseases book, another attempt at trying to control people. Um, But these attempts of, this is not what Moses is trying to do. Moses is offering them a relationship or the Lord, God, is offering them a relationship through Moses, mediated through Moses, their priest and their uh, leader. But that's the relationship. There's going to be commandments and there's going to be directions are going to go, but this will be the, the reward, the healing and the freedom from these diseases. I believe he means specifically the plagues of Egypt won't happen to you. Um, remember the river turns to blood and they can't drink the water. They get to Mara right after the Red Sea and they can't drink the water. It sounds a lot like they're in the place the Egyptians were when they were being judged by God. And so God makes it clear, we're not going to go that direction. Then they come to Elam, there's 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Um, another numeric 
sign of blessing. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 springs of water, the 70 palm trees, um, perhaps the 70, um, the 70 elders that are appointed by Moses in a few chapters. Hard to say, the symbolism there. But there they, they come to this place of Elam. Um, and it's here at Elam that they begin to complain. They've already done one series of complaints before the Red Sea, where they said, did you bring us out here in the desert to die? I mean, you get the sense of these people being very real people when you hear these stories. Um, We are not really any different from them. Uh, You know what people say, um, when you feel powerless and helpless and there's an authority figure out there, um, this is what we say as people. Stuff like this. Did you bring us out here in the desert to die? Is that why you brought us out here? I mean, the answer is obviously no. They were delivered from enslavement in Egypt. And it was lot, like not easy to do that at all. It wasn't easy for Moses and Aaron and Miriam to do that. It wasn't easy for the people to do that. And, or God. It was a major operation. And yet, in, as they escape, they're saying this. And we are saying that is too. We are saying that too. Um, Jesus told the story of the man who had been forgiven uh, the great debt that he owed the king. And the minute he's forgiven the debt, he's lighter in his step and he skips out of the palace and uh, he finds a guy that owes him 50 bucks and he grabs him by the throat and starts to choke him. Give me my money. Give me my money. And the king's servants tell the king about this. You know, the guy that you just forgave that insurmountable debt just went out and shook somebody down for 50 bucks. Um, So the king hauls him back in and sends him to the dungeons to be tortured and put away for life. Um, Because the fact that he was given mercy and shown mercy and given forgiveness um, didn't mean that he would show it to anybody else. He had not internalized the grace that the king had given him. He had used that grace to do violence and damage to other people. Um, And this seems to be the pattern for many lives, not just the people of God in the wilderness, but our lives as well. When we've been given grace and love and freedom and given um, gifts and something that maybe we didn't think we would get, and we often use those things for our own advantage and to take advantage of other people. We use those gifts in poor ways in ways that hurt other people. Um, And this is what the people of God are doing. Um, They've been given deliverance, and yet um, they are complaining about it. That's the hard part of life, is that this is the easy trap that we all fall into. Um, And this doesn't mean we can't say what we think or feel. Um, That's certainly in in these stories, too, that people do speak out and their lament to God when they are up against difficult circumstances. But this is a different kind of complaining. It is a complaining that is not realistic. It's not rooted in any reality. Um, if only In verse 3, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They're saying, oh man, it would have been great if we had gotten killed by those plagues. Wouldn't have that been great? That would be better than this. Um, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. I mean, they're hungry and they're, they're remembering the good times of enslavement, that they had giant cauldrons boiling with food 
and they were going to eat them at the evening. You can imagine if you worked the manual labor job all day making bricks and building buildings and the backbreaking work that that was and you smell that cooking in the in the evening as the sun starts to set and you know that there's going to be some food available. Um, probably not every day, but maybe on occasion they had these flesh pots going. Um, you can imagine just the thrill of that, how that would feel. And, and they long for that. They remember that, that feeling. Um, and then God says, you know, instead of like arguing with them, God answers their prayer, their complaint, and says, I'm going to send bread from heaven and you'll get it. Manna from heaven. So, um, and yet the reminder is that if you keep doing this, this complaining, um, that, that, that things are not going to go well because your complaints are really not against Moses, but they're against God. And they're against the plan of forgiveness and reconciliation and deliverance that God has brought. God is delivering God's people in God's own way. And you got to go with it. We may not like the way God delivers us from the traps that we've found ourselves ensnared in. We may not like that because it's usually a winding, circuitous path of deliverance. It's never just like, boom, instant, everything's fine. There's usually a journey with hardship in it. And that is what brings us into that relationship with God. So if you're experiencing some of that journey today, the labyrinthine twisted path of God's deliverance, um, go with it. Walk along that path. God's going to take care of you. He's going to feed you manna right when you need it. Give us this day our daily bread is the prayer. It is not give us this month a big barn full of bread. That's not the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So God's going to give you enough bread. Your shoes will not wear out. Your clothes will not wear out either. You have enough strength for this journey. God will be with you. Amen.